0: Know what that means, that music that music that
1: music means it is another week of the college gridiron show.
0: Big it, deal, it big is deal. a big deal. Week, whatever it is now, I don't know what 16, week it is. 16. yeah, something like that. I think I it's 16, count. 15 is army, navy, right?
1: Yeah, right, sure. that's yeah,
0: it's army, navy, week 15, and the Heisman, is. and the Heisman, go the Heisman.
1: Right. army, beat navy. So, yeah, guys, uh. It was Army over Navy for the third year in a row. That losing streak is long gone. It's way in the rear rearview. Um, but I think I think we all know what we're starting off with this week. With it is, it's Heisman. It's J- as Jimmy strikes the pose in the studio. <laughs> um, yeah. So like we like we talked about on last week's show, it really came down a championship weekend that won Kyler Murray the Heisman. Uh, it was. A, very close vote. Um, I think, uh, I don't know exactly what the number was between first and second place. I think it was about
2: 300. Yeah, yeah. Which,
1: well, which qualifies as a very close vote, at least in recent years. But are we all in agreement that it was deserving for Kyler Murray to win the Heisman?
2: I'll start. At least I am. Uh, I would have voted for him. And, you know, it was interesting because uh, just allow me to go John King's CNN election night for a moment here. If you look at the exit polls, not exit polls, that's not the right word, hmm. but... Thirteen percent of voters filed their ballots before championship week, which that's that's uh, wrong.
1: that's wrong,
2: obviously. So thirteen percent of voters filed their ballots before championship week, and of those voters, I think Tua had about a hundred vote lead, if I'm not mistaken. He didn't have a big majority of the votes, but he was he was comfortably leading. Fifteen percent of of writers, so another two percent of those writers. ...filed at some point during the day on Saturday of the Big 12, the Big 10, the SEC title games. Which seems even more counterintuitive, because that's a very half-baked solution. Because clearly you're missing one of the games. Yeah, absolutely. That's that's dumb. But anyway, yes, Kyler, I think Kyler deserved it. I think he was probably the most valuable player in college football this year. And people, the argument that people are going to make is that, well, if you spread two of his numbers out over four quarters... Look, if you did that, if you had him play the whole season, his numbers wouldn't have been that different because every game was a blowout. And they're running the ball in the fourth quarter anyway, so he's not going to add to his numbers, and his numbers are not going to be better than Kyler Murray. So I think that was a totally deserving move for him to win the Heisman. I think, like you said, Matt, real clincher was against Texas. 379 for three touchdowns, no picks, ran the ball for another 39 yards. He almost ran for 1,000 yards on the season. And I think that's the main difference between him and Tua. He ran for 892. Tua ran for 190. And, you know, he was sort of valuable in that area of the game where just the creativity on the run, whether it's throwing it or running it, where he's got that multi-dimensional factor, and he could really do anything with the ball in his hands. And Tua is great like that, too, but there's just an added, an extra dimension with Kyler Murray that I don't think Tua has at the moment. I think Tua is probably going to be the favorite for next year. I think he has to be, but I, I think Kyler Murray deserved this one. I really do.
0: I think the statistics are very similar, and if you try and base your argument off of whose stats are better, I think you're going to end up splitting hairs. It's Tua, 37 touchdowns, 4 interceptions. Kyler, 40 touchdowns, 7 interceptions. Personally, I would have gone with Tua, and the reason that I would have gone with Tua is I respect the competition that he has played in the numbers that he has put up against stronger competition more than, say, Kyler Murray. We talk about it all the time about Big Twelve defense, and that's not something that we really respect. Maybe the right word, and they don't really play defense, and the defenses are bad. And you put up numbers against Kansas and Oklahoma State and whoever else that, they played Army this year, who big win for them. Game this they past almost weekend. lost. Yes, game Oklahoma right. almost lost. Right, but and Texas twice. So I'm I'm just my my thing. And my sticking point is Tua just played better competition. The numbers are similar. In my opinion, Tua has been, although he plays on a great team, has been the best player on the best team all year. He gets hurt against Georgia, and that's a formidable defense. We'll see. I'll maybe learn a lot, I think, after Kyler plays Alabama as to who really deserved – this award now the award has already been given, so that's not necessarily a valid argument going into the Heisman voting. But to me, I just go with to uh, based upon the strength of the defenses that he has played throughout this entire year and put up similar numbers to Kyler Murray, who's played a much softer level of competition.
1: That's actually a really good point that Kyler Murray and Tua Tagovailoa are about to play each other in this college football semifinal. I don't. I don't know the last time a uh, a winner and a runner up played each other in such a high stakes game. Maybe since
2: Vince Young, Reggie Bush, well, Mariota, Winston. But Mar- I, don't think, Winston. I don't think Winston finished second that yeah. year. not so, think I think it was somebody else. So yeah. this
1: might be the 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 first time that a runner up and a winner have played each other since that Vince Young, Reggie Bush Rose Bowl. If that's even how it happened, then I I can't remember that far back, but. Now, that's a great that's a really good point about Tua having the better competition. But for me it's it's not really about the competition you play, because as it's come to be in recent years, the Heisman has turned into a, a stat a stat trophy and not a team award. Even though as Kyler Murray per, pointed out in his speech, he wouldn't have been there without his team, his coaching staff, all that. Um so when it comes down to stats, it's about who who kind of does better. And for Kyler Murray, he played better up until the finish. And it is unfortunate that Tua Tagovailoa got hurt in that Georgia game, but he wasn't playing that well before he got hurt. So it, it's hard to say what he would have done had he played that rest of the game. Maybe he maybe he goes out and throws three touchdowns and for three hundred yards but maybe he throws another two interceptions and stays under 150 yards passing. But so what I what I want to get to is what does this do for the Oklahoma program and more specifically for Lincoln Riley? He has now produced back-to-back Heisman winning trophy Heisman trophy winning quarterbacks. That's a that's a pretty big deal. That has never been done in the history of college football. Yes, there's been there's been back-to-back winners and obviously that's Eddie George but there's never been a back-to-back quarterback from the same coach, same school. What does that do for Lincoln Riley and recruiting quarterbacks to come play for him?
0: Well, I don't know what it's going to do for him recruiting because he may very well be finding himself on an NFL sideline sooner rather than later. So recruiting-wise, if he wants to stay at Oklahoma, I think it will go a long way. I think if you're a quarterback, the number one recruit Uh, number one quarterback recruit in the country is going to Oklahoma. I forget what his name is, but he is going to Oklahoma this upcoming year. So I think that is where your tangible evidence of what that does for a program like Oklahoma, I think it proves that you can go to Oklahoma and you can get recognition, you can be an NFL player, and if you're a quarterback, you're working with a darn good offensive coach. Maybe if you're a defensive player, not so much. But on the offensive side of the ball, Lincoln Riley knows offense, he can coach quarterbacks, he can coach receivers, D.D. Westbrook, Hollywood Brown, C.D. Lamb. These are some good offensive players that they're churning out. So if you're an offensive player, Oklahoma is a good place to look, but we'll see how long it is, because I I would, if I'm an NFL organization, I am really taking a hard look at Lincoln Riley if I am looking for a new head coach in this winter.
2: Yeah, I mean, if I if I'm an NFL GM, I'll, I'm handing that guy a blank check. I'm saying, look, as much as you want, come coach us. If I'm the Jets or if I'm the Browns, I'm saying, look, come here, let's go. Like you said, Nick. But I I think for Oklahoma, when you look at it, you say, okay, they they've got the last two Heisman winners, and that's awesome. But you look at the systems that they've been in. Okay, Baker Mayfield had one system. It was it wasn't traditional per se, but it was a lot of drop back stuff. He stood in the pocket. He looked downfield. He looked for his tight ends. Whatever. What Kyler Murray's done, a lot of it's outside the pocket. He gives them the freedom to roam. He sort of works them outside on the perimeter, more in the running game, definitely, I think, than Baker Mayfield really ever was at Oklahoma. I think that, for me, that's the more impressive thing is the adaptability of his system, which tells me that if I'm a recruit, then I can go there, and he's going to— Build his system around me, and not the other way around. Because I think a lot of coaches make that mistake, where they say, "Oh, we're gonna run the ball 60% of the time," when you know their offensive line is terrible and they don't have a skilled running back. Lincoln Riley's gonna say, "Look, these are the players I've got." I'm going to put the best 11 on the field, and then I'm going to tailor my offense to their abilities. And that's why everybody, pretty much everybody, I mean, even you look at like the tight end position. So they lose Mark Andrews last year. Calcaterra steps in, has a great season. You said, Nick, which was a great point with all the wide receivers that have been so good over the last two years. So the adaptability of the system is the most impressive thing to me because, one, that tells me that if I'm a recruit, I can go there and he's going to tailor to my needs, and two, if you're the NFL, you know that he can go there with pro players who probably have slightly bigger egos and say, look, I'm willing to work with you. So I think I think it tells you a lot about Lincoln Riley and, and his ability to manage with different circumstances.
1: Nick, that quarterback you're thinking of, his name is Spencer Rattler. He is, okay. the, he is the number one overall quarterback, number 23 in the country, going to Oklahoma. He's a pro-style quarterback, so we might be seeing more of that Baker Mayfield type of system where he sits in the pocket, might have enough mobility to make make defenses worry about it, just like Baker Mayfield did. And it it can really only be onwards and upwards for for Lincoln Riley himself and if he does choose to stay for this Oklahoma program. Um kind of the last thing about Kyler Murray, people are are asking him to to dishonor his contract with the Oakland Athletics and enter the NFL draft and, and get drafted as the as one of the top quarterbacks taken. No, Kyler Murray, please go play baseball. Enjoy a nice 15-year career. Don't have CTE. Have fun with the rest of your life.
2: Make a lot of money. I'm telling you, though, I think it's going to be hard for him to keep that. If if somebody drafts him in the first round this year, I don't know if that's going to happen or
0: not. Doesn't he have
1: to declare, though? Like, doesn't he have to put his name in?
0: I'm pretty sure he does. I'm not sure how the contract was written, but I think he has to go to Oakland. Yeah, he must said, go to spring training. Yeah, yeah, he's definitely going to spring training. I don't training. think he's he signed the contract the provision was he was mm-hmm. allowed to play one year of college football but he is I'm not sure how even the money works because if he was paid already I don't think he's right. technically allowed to play in the he NCAA. May not have, yeah. So I'm not sure 100% how this whole contract agreement has worked, but if he is not signed and committed to the Oakland A's then he would had would have to go and be redrafted that's the mm-hmm. way the mlb draft right. works so because he is with oakland he is signed and he has made the agreement and he has to mm-hmm. report to oakland can yeah. i just say just imagine going to college football as your
2: second best sport and winning the heisman <laughs>
1: yeah i saw i saw the perfect <laughs> wild. i saw the perfect tweet on heisman night and it said tyler murray just won the heisman trophy for fun yeah he did he really did. I mean, he had no reason to to go out and put his body on the line and and do all the things he did this year. But he just went out and did it anyway. So, big ups to Kyler Murray. Um, very happy for him. Seems like a great kid. Um now let's move on to to bowl season. Last week we did the we did the college football semi-playoffs and and all that good stuff. But now it's for the new Year's six games, the games before that. Which kind of raises an interesting topic. As, it hap- as it's been happening the last couple of years, we are seeing more and more and more players announce they're declaring for the draft and they're going to sit out their bowl game. Uh, most notably this year, uh, Ed Oliver, Will Greer, um, Greg Little from Ole Miss. Uh, he's going to be one of the top offensive linemen taken in the draft, and there's many, many more. But I think that starts to raise a question about... About the bowl system in general, at what point are 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 kind of these, these committees that invite these teams to the bowl games just going to be like, if these elite players aren't going to play, why even bother having the game at all?
2: I don't know if that's going to change only because you, know, you watch a bowl game and you see a half-empty stadium. You see sometimes players sitting out or players who, let's face it, probably aren't giving 100% because either, one, they're going to the NFL, or two, they're at the end of a season where it's maybe not what they wanted and they don't care maybe as much as they should. The The money involved in these bowl games is really insane when you think about it. It's almost incomprehensible how much money the advertisers and the bulls themselves are getting and the teams are getting to play in those bulls. There's just so much money trading hands I'm not sure exactly how to describe it, but, you know, everybody basically makes out with that arrangement. So if you ever want to know why there's 40 bowls, uh, that's why. Because, you know, everybody's pretty much making out well in this, obviously, except for the players. So then they sort of a couple years ago said, all right, we're going to take the power back and we're going to do that. I don't see a future in which we contract bowls. I, I don't see a future in which we go down to 30. I, I think we're so far down this road. Where, you know, it used to be six or seven bowls where you got the Cotton Bowl on New Year's Day and the Rose Bowl and the Sugar Bowl. That's That's gone now. Okay, you still have those, but now you've got all these other ones that are raking in money. You know, you can laugh at the, you know, walk-ons, Independence Bowls we were talking about before, but it gets money. It really does.
1: But do we really need the, the Raycom Media Camellia Bowl or the... The Cherubundi, Boca Ratone Bowl. Like do we That's need, a good one. do we need <laughs> all of these? Can we just have the big ones, the the cotton bowl, the orange bowl, those kind of ones? And uh, Nick, I don't I don't Are you don't gonna kn- watch any of them? I'm gonna watch the good ones. I'm not gonna you, watch the random ones. You're not gonna watch ones. the
0: Booker of Bowl.
1: I'm a thousand percent not watching the Booker Raton okay, Bowl. Well I'm if, sorry.
0: Then you're gonna have to get some people to join you in not watching them because until people stop watching them, they're gonna continue. I but promise you it, that.
1: I mean it's UAB
0: but Northern it's, Illinois but, in but that game. You have to understand that when you're UAB in northern Illinois, that's a big deal. I mean, I guess if you're Kinda. Michigan yeah. and you miss the playoff, okay, well uh Right. And if you're Auburn last year, that's the biggest example. And it gives other teams opportunity because the, the Peach Bowl last year meant a whole heck of a lot more to UCF than it did to Auburn. Okay. Auburn lost the SEC championship game to get into the playoff, and their season's over. They're disappointed. UCF, they want to make a statement. So for these, these smaller teams, it's a big deal i 'll go back to my hometown university at Buffalo Bulls, who win ten games this year they don 't win their mac championship game it 's a disappointment, but they get to go play in a bowl game, and for them that 's a big deal they they haven 't they are playing in a bowl game for the first time since I believe two thousand and eight so it's been it's been ten years, and this is only if my history is correct the third time they 've played in a bowl in their entire school 's history. So it's a big deal for some schools. Now, for big-time team that didn't perform to expectations, probably a waste of time. But there are some teams that know, if you're UCF, what's the point of playing then? Because you know you don't play a schedule that's good enough to get to the college football playoff. So what's the light at the end of the tunnel if these bowl games don't exist? That's a good point.
1: And, and I guess that also raises the question, which is a topic that, has been brought up at least today where some very int- influential voices within college football have started to voice their support for an eight-team college football playoff. Um, I'm kind of just going to throw my two cents out-, out there about this to start, and then I'll hand it back off to you guys. I think the last two years in particular have been very hard for the college football playoff committee. Um, they've gotten a lot of flack for their choices, for their final rankings. and I Yes. Yeah. Yeah, Nick? Have they, (laughs) though? A little bit. Um, And I think it's finally starting to weigh on them that they're obviously not going to make everyone happy with the four-team system. So moving it to eight is the next obvious choice. I felt like when they first started, four was kind of an arbitrary number, and they kind of just picked it because that's what, hey, this is what college basketball does, and Final Four is huge, and everybody loves it. So we'll have four teams. But it's different because of the tournament aspect and everyone gets a chance. When you only leave it to four and it's picked by you guys, it seems a little subjective and a little shady and and all that. And by moving to eight teams... It starts to get a little more a little more open, and you're going to make a lot more people happy, which, I mean, that's not what their main concern is, is making people happy. They're concerned about getting the quote-unquote four best teams in the country to play in the national championship games. So, guys, I mean, I don't think anyone's going to be opposed to an eighteen team playoff, but what do we think?
2: I'm opposed to an eighteen team playoff. Are you? Yeah, because I think it sort of delegitimizes the regular season to a point where you, you sat there and you said... During the SEC Championship game, whether you like it or not, if Georgia loses this game, they're not going in. And you kind of knew that going in. And you could like it, you could not like it, but you knew that was the truth. And the Michigan-Ohio State game also was kind of an elimination game like that. I know neither one of them got in, but it's sort of the same deal. So if you go to 8, then you're going to start putting two lost teams in the playoff because you're going to have to. So now if a team loses a game in the middle of the season— whereas now you might say ooh that's kind of a big loss now you go oh well they're fine if they went out then they're definitely going to be in and they could probably have still afford another loss as long as it's good and they'll still be good and let me it's not going to i don't think it's going to make it easier on the committee either because what what i have seen floated which does make sense five conference champions get an automatic bid two at larges and a a non power 5 team which would probably be UCF so, if you look maybe at the bracket this year, you would have something like I don't know Oklahoma versus Ohio State in a first round game. I'm just throwing that out there. So instead of that, now you're looking at saying, okay, you know if you if you keep it at four, everybody who gets in is still only going to have one loss, right? And it makes the regular season that much more important. I think that's the thing that really differentiates college football from every other sport is every week to week is huge. You know, If a team loses a game, that's that's huge. That's a big deal. Yeah, and you're
1: seeing that in college basketball this season. Last year's national champion, Villanova Wildcats, they already have three, four losses this year. They're still going to make the tournament. Oh, sure, absolutely. Because they're going to be a
2: conference champion. And nobody's freaking out about that no. because, one, the Big East is down, and, two, college basketball is just not like that. You know, you have Kentucky losing to Seton Hall the other day, and, and nobody— I mean, people do react, but not like they would. If yeah, it, it's not you know, the end yeah. of the world. Like, it no. would be if Alabama or Clemson or
1: Notre Dame lost a game this
0: season. And I just—I I like that. Yeah, and but I, there are yeah. more games, too. There's, that's fair. It's yeah, that's fair. less of a—just less of an issue. My, my two cents on this thing is I, I think you're going to see, if they go to eight teams, less of a value on the conference championship game, and I think that would go away. Now, whether you would still have to win your conference by just having the best record throughout playing in within your conference, I, I don't know. But you wouldn't have a conference championship game, I don't think. Now, I don't hate that because I think that less of an emphasis on winning your conference is a good thing, in my opinion. And that's part of one of my arguments, when going back to why I thought Georgia should have been in and, and why I talk about Tua versus Kyler the way I do. Because I think it's important to understand that all conferences are not created equally. That the the level of play, top to bottom in the SEC, is better than it is in the Big 12. And top to bottom, better than it is, you know, ACC compared to Big 12. And you can make everything, make all the cases that you'd like, compare all of the conferences that you'd like. Pac-12 down this year, ACC up, there have been teams who have been better in that conference Big 10, not so much this year, have been a disappointment. But again, from year to year, I think it's important to understand the strength within these conferences. And I am not a huge fan of saying, oh, you win the conference in the Power Five, and you're automatically in. But at the same time, that champion would likely have a good record, so it would get in anyway. I just think that, Moving away from the importance of winning a conference champion championship is not a terrible idea in the realm of college football the way it's being played today.
1: So so since you guys don't seem that thrilled with the idea of an 18 playoff, what would be— I like it. I Okay, I so, so Jimmy then, you don't seem that thrilled with the idea. So what would your solution be? Because right now it doesn't look like the four teams are, are great. It doesn't seem like this system is working the way that it's intended.
2: I guarantee you guys, both of you are going to hate my solution. Here's what we do. Just hear me out on this. So people hated the BCS. Correct. For obvious reasons, because it was... Very flawed. It was fickle. It was flawed. It changed week to week based on really nothing, right? So here's what you do. You have a combination of computers and the committee. You have, like, 50-50, and then that chooses the four best teams. It's crazy. I know, but the BCS, you might not like it, but other than if you look down each year, other than maybe 2000 with the the Florida State Miami thing, they've gotten they've got it mostly right. In 2008 with Oklahoma Texas, which was ridiculous, but they've they were mostly right with that. So, I I would think about having taking some power out of the committee's hands because that 12 person room is the most powerful thing in college football and it's consolidated power, and if they get it wrong, oh boy, they get it wrong. So if you take some of the pressure off them to do that, I think, one, they approach it in a, with a little more clarity, and two, they're they they're taking more input sort of from everywhere so they can come to a better solution. That might not fix anything, but that might be what I would think about doing.
1: And Nick, a thought just crossed my mind about your, your get rid of the conference championship kind of deal. Instead of doing that, why don't they just make – one conference with the biggest teams in the country and just let them go at it and let them kind of have their own, this is an idea that's been thrown around in the world of soccer, kind of like a a super league. It's like a super conference where where they all play each other and then that's kind of like the, the important thing. I don't think that could ever work, but it's a fun thought.
0: Well, I think it would be entertaining, but then inevitably teams that are better than teams that are not in that super conference are going to suffer because of their record. Uh, If you put all the teams in there, somebody say the, the last team on that list is Florida or something like that in a conference with Alabama, Georgia, Oklahoma, Ohio State. So say Florida goes six and six. Well, they're not a six and six team. They're a good team. But they get in get to play in this, you know, bloodbath of a of a super <laughs> conference and then the committee or the BCS or whoever's making the evaluation looks at them as worse than UCF, which isn't right.
1: Yeah, and for the record, I don't think that should ever happen. I just thought it was a fun thought experiment.
2: That sounded like high school football for a second. <laughs> you just put all the good teams in one conference. Yeah, right. you have a point system, and then like the top four. <laughs> what? So let's it's get a fun thought though.
1: So let's get into some of these games, at least the nearest six games. Um, you have, let's see here, let's see here. You got Mississippi State, Iowa, LSU, UCF, Kentucky, Penn State. Washington, Ohio State, Texas, Georgia. I'll let you guys decide where we go first.
2: <sighs> let's start with uh, let's start with this LSU UCF game. Cause okay, I'm kind of, that, I'm kind of that's kind of where
1: this. I wanted to start. <laughs> if if you had given me this game with Mackenzie Milton at quarterback, I would be all in on UCF over LSU. But without him, and considering they almost lost to Memphis, I don't I don't see a way that they win this game.
2: I think I think it's gonna be closer than people think. I think last year they did the same thing against Memphis too, where they went to double OT. And this team, this year's team, was arguably better actually than, than last year's team in some ways. Not not in every way, but yeah, the, the loss of Mackenzie Milton, I think, probably the deciding factor in this. As long as Joe Burrow makes enough plays, as long as the LSU defense doesn't do anything too stupid. They got to be the favorite in this game. The line hasn't come out yet. Uh, we don't. We don't encourage gambling here, obviously. <laughs> but um, yeah, I would go. I would go with LSU too. I just think, from a practical point of view, UCF is very compromised without having a, uh, a starting quarterback. I mean, I know the backups come in and he's played well, and I get that. But yeah, I, I think I go with LSU as well. I wouldn't be surprised if, if UCF wins this game, and I think I'll
0: be pulling for them. But I think LSU. I think it is much different from the last time that LSU, or sorry, that UCF got an opportunity to play a big-time SEC school. We already mentioned it, them beating Auburn in the Peach Bowl last year. I would also expect LSU to win, and win pretty handily. Again, McKenzie Milton not being available is a big deal, but I think there will be less of a hangover because LSU knew that they weren't going to the playoff, it's not oh, we just lost our season and all of our hopes and dreams in this past week. So I think they will be much more prepared. I think Coach O will do a great job of having them prepared, as he always does. I would expect LSU to win and UCF to lose for the first time in almost two years, which is amazing. That
1: is actually very, very strange to think about, that this that a team in college football— a high-profile team goes undefeated for two years in a row. I'm not sure the last time that happened, but that would certainly make some headlines and it would give it would give UCF fans even more reason to complain that they're not being included in this conversation for a college football playoff spot. But uh, Nick, what game are we going to next?
0: I think it's got to be Georgia Texas, right?
1: I think that's going to be the best game of the of the day
0: you of think the so? entire huh? day. Yeah. I don't. What do, you, what do you think, Will? I think Georgia is going to make a statement to that committee that they should have been in. I don't know. Maybe they won't. Maybe it's the hangover. Who, who knows? Who knows? Because, again, I mean, it was a win and an in. Wow. But I, I would expect Georgia to win. Texas is, Texas is a good team, but they're still a year or so away, and they – as well as they played at times against Oklahoma, they've got some some growing up to do, especially defensively, I, I would say, and I think Georgia should be able to win. We'll see. Yeah, I'm
1: definitely with you, and I think Georgia's going to be out to to kind of prove a point that that they should, probably should have won that Alabama game, and they should be considered the fourth best, at least one of the four best teams in the country, and deserving of a spot to play for a national championship. Jimmy, what, what do you think about that game?
2: I'm going to go devil's advocate on this one. I'm going to take Texas. Um, And it's not because I think Texas is better. I think it's just going to be, Georgia's going to say, look, we should have been in the playoff. We were a quarter away from the playoff. And I think it might have the opposite effect, honestly. Uh, You know, there's no, it's not like Ohio State where they're sending off their head coach and they're going to come out motivated or anything like that. It'll be close. It could go, for me, it could go either way. But, I mean, I'm looking at a, a minus 12 point spread and I'm thinking, like, I think that's a little much. I really do. And I think this Texas side, look, they're they're probably maybe a little overmatched, but Sam Ellinger can make enough plays. If that defense just gets a couple stops, I'm not talking about a ton. Texas wins a close one. If they don't, look out. But I'm gonna go with Texas. I'm gonna take an upset here because you know we we were about to go six and
0: six here with everybody agreeing, and I was like, you know what?
2: <laughs> I think because I was kind of I was kind of thinking Texas, and I said, yeah, I'm gonna go with Texas.
0: Interesting note on this game, by the way. Mel Tucker, who was the Georgia defensive coordinator, took the job at Colorado, so he will not be coaching in this game. So I will be interested to see how that sort of affects things. What Kirby Smart will will do as far as an approach of calling plays or how much involvement he would have in the defense and I think that's a great hire for Colorado. I yeah. love Mel Tucker. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I think he did a fantastic job going back to when he was at Alabama and did a great job when he was at Georgia. So that's a big hire for Colorado. We'll see how it goes for him going forward, but I'm a huge Mel Tucker fan.
1: Yeah, I think I'm on board Georgia winning this game by by a few scores simply because that defense is just wild, and Kirby Smart is in his own right a very good defensive defensive mind, so I think he'll be able to keep that keep that defense up to par um last game I really want to get to is the Rose Bowl because it's the Rose Bowl, even if it is Washington, Ohio State. Jimmy, I'm gonna get my my opinion out of the way here first. You were spot on. They're sending Urban Meyer out. They're gonna they're gonna be ready to ready to go out and win his last game, win one more big game for Urban Meyer. They're gonna be ready to party, and they're gonna be going at Washington from the very first whistle. I don't see this game being close
2: at all. Yeah, I think Ohio State by a minimum of twenty. Um, yeah, I, I think. One, they're going to be sending a Meyer out, like you said. And two, I don't think this Washington team's that good. I mean, throwback to the first week of the season. <laughs> we were hyping up that Washington-Auburn game. And I think really it was in were. Atlanta, yeah. And we were going nuts, and it was really a bad game because both of those teams are not that good. Washington sort of finagled their way to a Pac-12 title because they didn't really have to play anybody, and then they get to the title game. They're playing Utah. 10-3. 10-3. It was a sleepy Fantastic game. Fantastic Which is
0: why we shouldn't just automatically put all conference champions in, by the way. I agree. There's your example. Yep. Yeah, I agree, yep. because Washington's not one of the best I find, state teams. This, I find this game to be eerily similar to Michigan-Ohio State, actually, a team that has a good defense coming in maybe the year the well not not the expectations that Michigan had and they're not the type of program that Michigan but the defense is similar it's a very good defense and I think that game proved a lot not only about Ohio State but about the state of college football in general that when you've got an offense that can move and can play sometimes that beats good defense so I would expect the same thing to happen in the Rose Bowl
1: and just real quick last game just I just want to get Get a winner out of y'all. Kentucky-Penn State in the Citrus Bowl.
0: Penn State. Wow. Uh, I'll go Penn State.
1: Give me Kentucky. I love Kentucky this year. I'll be pulling for Kentucky. Yeah. (laughs) So, guys, that is all we have for this week. Uh, Just a scheduling note. uh, We're going to be taking next week off. Uh, Finals week is definitely going to get the best of us. Um, We might be coming back either after Christmas, before the the playoff games, or we will be back right after those games to recap and get you ready for the championship game. So stay tuned for a post about the next show, and come on back.